Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Mayor Christina Mern discusses some of the possible ways the city of Findlay can put the governor's recently proposed first responder grant money to use. Also this morning, after receiving billions of dollars in enhanced unemployment and relief payments, how is it that millions of Americans find themselves facing financial hardship? If throwing money at the problem didn't help, what will? To your health this morning, the best vitamins and supplements to promote winter wellness all season long. And in our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, the military and the media. As reporting has evolved, so has the way America fights its wars. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, December 9th, 2021. Today is Christmas card day. It is, have you sent your Christmas cards? We have gotten in the mail exactly two Christmas cards so far this year. I think this is a tradition that is uh, rapidly falling by the wayside. I We did not send out Christmas cards this year. And uh, like I said, we've gotten exactly two of them <laughs> so far. So maybe it's just our circle of friends uh, doesn't send out Christmas cards anymore, but it is Christmas Card Day, for what it's worth, International Anti-Corruption Day, the International Day of Veterinary Medicine, big salute to all of the veterinarians of the world, National Llama Day, <laughs> take your llama to the vet, I guess, National Pastry Day and World Techno Day, so the reason to celebrate uh, today. So you probably heard about this because this story went viral uh, a couple of days ago, uh, the CEO of a mortgage company who fired 900 employees all at once in a Zoom call last week. Have you heard about this story? Uh, I saw it on social media, and uh, it's been spreading like wildfire. And uh, this uh, uh, CEO has gotten a lot of backlash over this. fired 900 people all at the same time on Zoom. Basically, he got all of these people into a, a giant Zoom meeting, and he said, if you are in this meeting, you're fired. <laughs> you are no longer employed to the company. That's nice. Uh, now, the CEO of Better.com, Vishal Garg, uh, said he could have handled it better. Uh, he admitted that uh, he apologized uh, posted a message on the company's website saying he's deeply sorry for how he carried out the termination of those employees, and he admitted it made a difficult situation worse. In the apology, which is actually addressed to the other employees who weren't fired, he said, I failed to show the appropriate amount of respect and appreciation for the individuals who were affected and their contributions to the company. I own the decision to do the layoffs, but in communicating it, I blundered the execution. Interesting he used the word execution. So, <laughs> but he apologized to the employees that weren't fired uh, in, the, uh, in the memo. And I guess that may be because he knows that sometime in the future they may be fired. So... Build up a little goodwill, I guess. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. A follow-up to the story that went viral a few days ago. Here's a story that has some legs, potentially. Um, 
Again, we like to start the day with some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories, and this certainly has the potential to be one of those. A former cadet at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy who was expelled after he became a father filed a federal lawsuit yesterday against the Service Academy's policy of banning students from having children. Now, again, he became a father. Obviously, he didn't bear the child himself. But the policy uh, forces, and apparently all of the service academies have similar policies, the uh, policy is that... uh, let me see here. What, I want to make sure that I get this right. Um, service academy policies force students to either withdraw from the academy or give up their children if they become parents, male or female. Uh, Itzhak Olson was expelled after he disclosed just two months from the time he was supposed to graduate back in 2014 as a commissioned officer that his fiance had given birth to their first child several months earlier. And that is a violation of the policy. Uh, Attorney Ilana Bildner of the ACLU of Connecticut, who is representing Mr. Olson, said in a statement, the decision to become a parent is deeply personal and no school or job should be able to interfere with that choice. Um. She points out the ban was introduced in the late late 70s, just after the Coast Guard Academy began admitting women. And so, no coincidence there. By the way, the uh, couple is now married with two children. Uh, Democratic uh, Senator uh, Kirsten Gillibrand of New York and Republican Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, who don't necessarily (laughs) see eye to eye on a lot of things, have uh, introduced legislation that would mandate an end to service academy policies that uh, force students to withdraw or give up their children if if they become parents. It would have the academies handle pregnancies the way they are in the rest of the military. Because the rest of the military, if you uh, have it, there was a time uh, in the military where uh, for women, especially if you got pregnant, you were you were bounced, you were out, you were discharged. And that was the end of it. If you became a parent, that is not the case today for either men or women. And uh, they argue, and I think it's a uh, reasonable argument, that the uh, service academies should handle uh, pregnancies the same way as the rest of the military. But as of right now, they do not. I said this, uh, see this story potentially having having legs and generating some controversy. But uh, interesting stuff. Coming up on Christmas, we are, uh, what, a couple of weeks away now from uh, from Christmas. It is fast approaching. Does what your child asks uh, for, for Christmas, does what your child puts on his or her Christmas list reflect on you as a parent? It's an interesting question. Uh, one mom took to TikTok to share her 11-year-old daughter's wish list for Christmas. Sarah Foster is an actress and podcaster, and she says, when I was 11, I wanted a Cabbage Patch doll. My my daughter's wish list includes uh, Christian Dior makeup, (laughs) 
Miss Dior perfume, a mini Prada shoulder bag, and a new iPad. <laughs> she, she said, where did I go wrong? <laughs> and uh, she wonders, is this a trend? I don't know. Do you have, uh, you have kids that age, especially uh, girls? Are they asking for uh, that stuff that high end? I don't know. Is this a trend? <laughs> That's crazy. When I was 11, I wanted a Cabbage Patch doll. I want Prada. <laughs> and by the way, speaking of uh, Christmas, I thought this was uh, interesting. Everyone, of course, has their own favorite holiday movies. But uh, some states uh, are, are famous for a Christmas classic set within their states. Uh, Fandango and the streaming service Voodoo surveyed thousands of film fans across the country to discover their favorite holiday films set in their states. And so, again, the the criteria is not just the favorite holiday film in each state. It's the favorite holiday film that is set in that state. Now, keep in mind that some films are set in one state and filmed in another. For example, uh, A Christmas Story, uh, famously was filmed in Cleveland. The Christmas Story house is in Cleveland, but the story was set in Indiana. So that is Indiana's uh, top Christmas film, A Christmas Story. So you get the idea. Um, (laughs) Some of the uh, results were interesting. Uh, Illinois. I would say Illinois Christmas movie. What comes to mind? Home Alone. Home Alone was set in uh, in Chicago. Um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is kind of a Thanksgiving holiday type movie. Um, that's set in Kansas. That's the uh, number one film in Kansas. Uh, some of the other ones are uh, kind of interesting. Prancer is the number one Michigan movie. Uh, Ernest Saves Christmas, <laughs> number one in Florida. Die Hard in California. So that you can open up the whole can of worms as to whether Die Hard is a, uh, is a, is a Christmas movie. Um, Elf in New York. White Christmas in Vermont, and in Ohio, I thought this was kind of interesting, A Christmas Melody is the film. I have no idea. I've never even heard of this. I'm wondering if this is like a a Hallmark movie or something like that, but it says A Christmas Melody is the uh, top uh, film, uh, Christmas film set in Ohio, in case you were wondering. But it, 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 Voodoo says it's a, uh, a fun way to not only discover hidden gems, new Christmas movies that you may not have seen before, but also to explore the country through a host of holiday-themed films. So, uh, it was fan, from Fandango to, uh, from Fandango and Voodoo, a list of the top Christmas films from every state. <laughs> A Christmas Melody, Ohio. I'll have to look that up, which I guess is uh, what they are are hoping you will do, and watch it on Fandango's Voodoo streaming service. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly to mostly cloudy today with a high of 44. Cloudy tonight, a low of 38. 
Finley firefighters help brighten the holidays for several local kids and their families. All right, how about this one? Shop for mom next? Get some cool stuff for mom? Okay. The firefighters help the kids shop for Christmas presents during the Shop with a Firefighter event at the Tiffin Avenue Walmart. It's one of my favorite events of the year. I've done it. I've tried to do it every year since I've started. Um, But the smiles on the kids are always the same every year. They're always big, and they always get really nice stuff. Uh, They're allowed to spend $200 a piece on themselves and their families, so it's very nice. Firefighter Travis Bond says new this year, the families received an extra $100 to purchase food for a nice Christmas dinner. See video on our website. The Ohio Hospital Association reports that COVID-19 is the reason behind a third of patient hospitalizations across the state. We still have a lot of unvaccinated uh, Ohioans out there, and a lot of the hospitalizations continue to be the unvaccinated. The association's John Palmer is urging people to get vaccinated if they haven't been already. The pandemic has been especially hard on seniors, leading to long stretches of isolation. But that's where the United Way of Hancock County's Senior Cheer Program steps in to help. Last year, the program sent hundreds of pieces of cheer to hundreds of area seniors. We've gotten very positive feedback from the care facilities, and it's very heartwarming to see the way the community has stepped up to really try to help in this way. Sarah Miley says a team from Marathon kicked off Senior Cheer's first round of cheer, which included... Cards, puzzle books, cozy socks, and lip balm. The items were delivered to Birch Haven Village. Learn how you can help out on our website. Ohio State head coach Ryan Day says he knows Utah will be no pushover in the Rose Bowl. I know uh, Coach Winningham's a very, very good coach, and, you know, known for, for being strong and, and, and being powerful in the run game and playing really good defense. So Utah is the real deal. Just ask Oregon, who beat Ohio State earlier in the season. They lost to the Utes twice by a combined score of 76-17. to the Rose Bowl game will be played on Saturday, January 1st. Give more news online anytime at WFIN.com. And now our cover story this morning. Earlier this week on Monday, in fact, Governor DeWine announced a proposal to direct grant funding to law enforcement and other first responder agencies across Ohio. Findlay Mayor Christina Mern was at that uh, press conference and and they in fact you uh, actually spoke uh, and made some comments uh during the uh as part of the announcement uh in which you were talking about uh the possibility and you know it's been uh mentioned here locally dash cams and body cams would be a possibility but you also uh kind of hinted that that may not necessarily be the the way that money that grant money could be spent locally or may not be the only way that grant money uh, could be spent locally what are some of your other ideas yeah so as we've really been looking initially talking with law enforcement about what are some of the things that need to occur um you know we're one very fortunate that we really believe that if there's something that our team needs to be doing their job that we we need to provide that to them so Overall, they have the majority of the things that they need to do their job on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. What we're looking at now is what are the things, especially during the pandemic, that have shifted or become more apparent that we need to to step up and kind of take take some action on? So obviously, we've had some conversations around body cams and dash cams. I would expect that that would be a good portion um, because it would help fund the initial implementation, which is going to the primary cost burden. Which is why... We don't have them to this point, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and we're still working through. There's also all of the operational nuances. You know, that's something that you need to have very spe- 
specific policies and procedures around primarily so that they're not misused by the public. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. sometimes something that people don't realize. Well, that's one of the (laughs) that's one of the things, uh, you know, there is a counter argument uh, to be made uh, with the uh, dash cams and and particularly the body cams uh, is that when these videos get out there into the uh, public, it maybe actually creates more uh, issues uh, because people kind of uh, interpret or misinterpret what they see or they'll see only parts of a video and and so on. That certainly can be the case. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a kind of a singular perspective, it's difficult to have the full story. That's one of the reasons that we have specifically said we want to do both dash and body cams mm-hmm. because then you have the perspective a little bit better from the dash cam of the broad area around uh, whatever is occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I talk about kind of, I'll say like I'm air quote, you know, the misuse that could potentially occur related to is it's more so um, if an officer is called to your house by, you know, say somebody else calls, there's a dispute occurring mm-hmm. and somebody else calls and has an officer show up to your house. Um, they then have that footage of potentially what's going on inside your house. So there's there's mm-hmm. a, an air of, you know, privacy you need to issues. understand privacy. Yeah, yeah right. so there's just yeah. a lot of different things that we need to work through. And obviously there are other entities that already have them in place. So we're reviewing their policies and procedures. Again, just to make sure that um, it is done in an appropriate manner to both protect the public mm-hmm. and to protect the officers that are wearing them. Yeah. But when we talk about the funding that is being given, it's ARPA dollars. Um, so coming from the American Rescue Plan and being made available to communities across the state, um, $250 million, $175 million is focused on violent crime reduction. We have obviously a significant increase in crime across the country and, and the state. We have seen some increase, but certainly nothing that I'm overly concerned with just because unfortunately, um, you know, we have seen more drug issues, more mental health issues, more domestic violence, all those types of items. But what we need to do is really get our arms around it. And one of the other ways that we didn't get an opportunity to talk about, but um, when the governor says, hey, there's a backlog of um, analysis that needs to be completed at our crime labs across the state, that is a huge issue. And I know it's not glamorous, but when we talk to our county prosecutors or our officers, when it's taking 60, 90, 120 days to get analysis back on a substance, Mm -hmm. that inhibits our our ability to prosecute those individuals. And so in some instances, obviously, if it's a violent crime, they're they're being held and in some manner so that we're keeping a close eye on them and they're not a risk to the public. But you also have individuals that may have a lower level um, incident that then are able to continue to have additional incidents um, while well, things are being processed. And that that's mm. a significant concern. Um, again, not, I want to be very clear, like it's not the community isn't like at a higher risk necessarily. Right. But the we're not able to intervene in these individuals' life that then we would be able to help them and hopefully get them back on the right track mm-hmm. and at a lower cost, more effective way than once they've committed a number of other crimes, then we're, we're really stuck in how we need to interact with them in the criminal justice system. So these are all some of the possible <laughs> yeah. ways that this grant money uh, could be used. So I guess it really comes down to just how much grant money would be coming to the city of Finley and, and Hancock County and, and how, you know, we can dole that out from there, right? right. Yeah, mean, so we'll really see in the next couple of weeks, you know, the governor said as soon as 
Um, he has the opportunity to sign it. You will sign it and that his staff is under marching orders to have a very simple application and get it out there quickly, which pretty much says um, community, as long as you are following the ARPA gu guidelines, um, put together a proposal and then we'll kind of start prioritizing and start, you know, giving out the money. Um, so we don't have that level of detail yet. Um, that, so we need to see that and then get the timing um, because obviously depending on when the applications are due, how they may do it in rounds of funding, mm -hmm. um, if they have any breakdown of rural versus um, urban. Um, so I know that they want to make sure that is available to folks and having an impact across the entire state. But what we will apply for, um, we have yet to determine. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, obviously, <laughs> as they're doing all of that work at the state in terms of, you know, getting the application process put together, finalizing all of the details, uh, what we're doing locally then is coming up with the wish list, for lack of a better term. Yep. Obviously, kind of talking to our team and determining what are the things that are going to have the most impact to benefit the community and their daily operations, um, and then start putting those proposals together. Um, and again, the other benefit is with the ARPA money, which is why we need to see the guidelines from the state. The ARPA money, we have four years to spend. So depending on the level of detail that we have to apply for with the application, we could potentially submit the body cameras, but we're just not quite in a position with the level of detail. If they said, you know, we're going to just do it as you need to have pretty much the doll the to the penny what you're going to spend, mm -hmm. then we're not going to be quite ready for that. That was going to be the other uh, question is what kind of a time frame are we looking at for any of these uh, programs? And again, the dash cams and body cams have gotten the most attention uh, for for this, but what uh, kind of implement implementation schedule would you be looking at? Uh, for the body cams and dash cam for, specifically or just the money in general? For, yeah, yeah the, so I, general. we do not have the specific timelines. Like I said, they may do it, you know, just kind of one big pot of money dueled out right away. Mm -hmm. um, but they also may do multiple rounds of funding so that it kind of can be spread out over time. I'm not sure what they're planning to do at this point. But I, I would assume that they will probably beef up some of the other grant programs that they already have in place. So, for example, the body and dash cam, they'll probably have that same kind of um, – process for that pot of money um, which would then have multiple year opportunities so we were planning to apply next october um, contingent on our plan to then implement in 2023 and by the way uh just uh, because we actually had a couple different stories uh, in the news <laughs> with regard to the body cam and dash cam uh issues this is something that you're looking for looking at separately of these grant monies i mean if uh if it doesn't work out that the that this grant would uh work out for that purpose is that something you're still looking at uh through other yes. dollars yes okay, so yep. these are not necessarily tied together correct yes um so it's something that we're still investigating and putting together our plan and, and understanding the feasibility of implementing it here locally mm -hmm. um and and we'll so, kind of determine yes. how we need to move forward one way or the so other. so given the timing that kind of two different stories that kind of became interwoven into one, but uh, may not necessarily be uh, be that when it all uh, comes out in the wash. Also wanted to mention, you were recently uh, honored by the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition uh, <laughs> and for uh, work in advocating uh, global leadership as uh, at, at the, and how it relates to the local uh, level. And we've talked yeah. about this before. Yeah. 
uh, on the program. For those who maybe missed our conversation several months ago with respect to this, talk about why this is important and this is significant. We're talking about global issues on a local scale. I think the most important thing for folks to realize is that we really live in a global society. Mm -hmm. And the United States plays a key role um, from a diplomatic standpoint, from a development of the world, from a safety and security standpoint. And one, you know, obviously we want to have a strong United States and, and be able to ensure that that benefits us here locally um, in the United States and in Finley, Ohio, uh, but also that we have a role to play internationally in stepping up. And that's what the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition um, kind of advocates for. Now, what does that mean for Finley specifically? Well, we have many global companies, um, whether they be, you know, companies that are really operating here locally through a joint venture. I believe we have about 13 different international companies that are either this is their North American headquarters or they have a joint venture location here. Mm-hmm. Many of our automotive in, you know, businesses. So when we talk about global issues, they could be things as simple as immigration policy and the accessibility of visas. And so for example, that impacts our local businesses because when they have someone, an engineer that they need to bring over to work on a line or look at expanding um, you know, a, their plant, they have that expertise within their organization. They want to bring it to Finley. And if that can't occur, that stifles the investment that's occurring in our community. Mm-hmm. Additionally, we we export significantly. Our soybean exports, you know, going to China and the Asian markets, that would impact this, you know, Hancock County um, significantly. So I think, you know, what I want folks to understand is that many times when we look at things occurring in the world around us or international policy, we kind of say, oh, you know, like, well, that's interesting, but don't really pay attention to the ripple effect that it has um, on the local level. Yeah. Um, Again, Finley Mayor Christina Mern with us uh, this morning. A lot of stuff, and we've got uh, more on our webpage on uh, all of this. Go to goodmornings.net. Mayor Mern, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Despite the billions of dollars that was doled out in government aid over the past year and a half, millions of Americans are drowning financially, and half say they have no emergency fund. Joining us this morning is Khalid Perek, founder of Fair Banking and the AMSIS Group, with some tips and advice to help those who are struggling financially build wealth. And uh, Khalid, let me uh, start with the question that many have asked why? I mean, between the enhanced unemployment, the stimulus payments and all of that, many people had as much money or more than what they were making before the pandemic. Did people just manage it that poorly? How can it be that so many Americans have fallen behind? Do you have a theory on this? Yes, not only theory, but data that shows despite the American government helping the uh, the consumers you know, with the stimulus checks, where did all that money go? Uh, well, uh, they blew it. Uh, if you look at the retail numbers, you know, the, the retail, uh, and the industrial sector had the best quarters, you know, of their last three years of corporate life, right? Number two things, what also happened was people, you know, uh, while they were unemployed or while they were waiting on checks, they, they went through all their savings. They depleted all their savings. And the third thing, uh, Chris, what happened was the inflation. 
you know, inflation rates are but three and four percent right now. So, you know, the hundred dollars of yesterday is equal to ninety seven dollars of today. Right. Right. So a lot of things, multiple things. Uh, also, another data set that we looked at, a lot more Americans are staying home because uh, of the childcare issue, uh, you know, people working remote, mm-hmm. uh, you know, daycares and schools not opening, being on remote, uh, you know, so parents have to stay at home for the kids to go to school online. So uh, it's, there's a lot of multiple things that have caused uh, American economy to, you know, the, the people to, to to go down a little bit of hole that they're in. But uh, it certainly is an example, it seems, that a lot of Americans uh, need to be more financially savvy. There is a great need for better financial uh, education and understanding. Yeah, I mean, if you think about banking, you know, centuries ago, and they still do the same thing, it works on two major principles, deposits and loans. Banks require consumers or ask the consumers to deposit their money into the bank. They charge them a fee to deposit the money, (laughs) an account maintenance fee. And the banks take that same money, leverage the customer's deposit, and loan it out to businesses. Banks earn 5 to 6% interest rate, but they don't share anything back with the consumers. Consumers have all their money in a checking account. And fundamentally, you know, the banking system is broken, and that's what FAIR has done has fixed it by launching a fair wealth building account where consumers, when they put their money in, in a liquid checking account or liquid uh, wealth building account, these people are making up to 4% annual dividends that are paid to them monthly. So what you are doing is leveraging technology in order to make this possible. Is uh, And I think we've talked about this before. Explain uh, how all of this works. Yeah, so if you are... Um, high net worth individual having a few hundred thousand dollars in your bank account, the big banks roll out the red carpet for you, make you a private client, give you the best latte out, out there. <laughs> right. And they, more importantly, <laughs> you know, and they, and they have a special line for coffee, you know, for, for these, uh, you know, for these uh, private clients. But think about this. They only give access to highly sophisticated financial wealth building tools to people with large uh, deposit volume because the banks make the most money on them. But what happens to the guy that only has a thousand dollars? Why can't he have access to the same tools that those other customers have? And that's what FAIR has done. We have used artificial intelligence and machine learning based technology tools that gives a member of FAIR, whether you have $10 or a million dollars in your bank account, access to the same tool uh, for you to create wealth. The idea is that uh, going back to people's behavior, people's behavior is they think that their money is safe when they put it in a bank account. But that money is safe is one thing, but the money is not growing is another because what will happen is next year, that same $100 is not $100, is worth $97. Right. So they are actually devaluing their money and, uh, and, and, and that's, that's, that is the main fundamental reason why we created a wealth building account that beats the inflation rate that allows you to continue to grow your money. But what about that old adage that safety equals smaller returns, that in order to get 
those higher returns. You mentioned uh, that's a trade-off with safety. The safest uh, accounts are the ones that aren't going to uh, build your money. They're just going to protect it. Uh, if you want to build wealth, you've got to risk it. And a lot of folks are not in a position, especially right now, where they feel they can risk it. And that's why we created this hybrid advantage where FAIR is an FDIC-insured account, uh, a bank where your money is 100% safe with fully specific insurance and everything. And yet you get, you know, over inflation rate, meaning you get the 4% up to 4% rate which allows you to safely build your wealth. So circling back to where we were, uh, where we started uh, talking about the fact that there are so many folks who are, you know, behind, uh, they have no emergency fund. They're kind of in a position where they're drowning uh, financially and just struggling to keep up. Uh, the other question is in order to invest it, to save it, to grow it, you've got to have it first. And if it's all going out as quickly as it is coming in, what's the best way to start in terms of, you know, building that wealth when there's precious little to build on? So what I would recommend people to do is start doing a side hustle, you know, uh, which is basically working on social channels like Instagram and YouTube and, and uh, other channels that allow you to uh, uh, create a side hustle, mm -hmm. affiliate marketing. There are so many in which you can spend two, three hours in a night and you can make a couple hundred dollars. So the idea is that you are right, Chris. You know, how do they go back from having nothing to having something so they can build wealth? Well, they have to pick up a second job or a side hustle. Side mm -hmm. hustle is better now. It gives you the flexibility uh, like driving an Uber or a Lyft or right. delivering for DoorDash or whatever. But the idea is that you can you you have to get out of the comfort zone and uh, do something uh, to to get you yeah. back to where you were before. And of course, uh, it goes back to that uh, initial point that we need better uh, financial education. The people need to be more savvy with their money and understand how to make it work for them instead of the other way around. Uh, Khalid Parekh, again, is founder of uh, Fair Banking, the AMSIS Group. Where do folks uh, learn more about this platform? Bankwithfair.com. Khalid, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, the holidays, of course, are here, and uh, this is a time when everybody, health and wellness becomes top of mind uh, because you know, the winter season, the holiday stress, all of that. Joining us this morning with some winter wellness tips uh, is health and wellness expert for the Bountiful Company, Megan Soa. What you got for us? Yes, of course. So like you said, the holidays are a crazy time, and we want to make sure that our health and wellness does not fall to the wayside. So, you know, whether you are getting in extra steps or enough sleep, enough water, vitamins and supplements are a great way to fill some of those potential nutrient gaps. Um, so one of my new favorite items is our Nature's Bounty Vitamin Jelly Bean line. Um, yes, I said jelly bean. This line addresses... <laughs> top wellness needs <laughs> um, in a delicious form. So think, you know, immune health, sleep support, 
Um, and there's also two items in here for the kids as well. And all of these, each of these products is um, vegetarian, non-GMO, and doesn't have any artificial flavors. Um, so my favorite is the um, multivitamin. It comes in a delicious strawberry lemonade flavor, um, and it just helps daily, you know, wellness and support. Um, and for my son, you know, he's in third grade, so getting him to take his vitamins isn't always easy. Um, but with this new uh, format, it's super convenient and tasty, um, and it does help support their, you know, development. Um, so I feel good about it, um, and it does make our wellness routine slightly more enjoyable. So that's a plus. And of course, you know, immune health is a hot topic right now, and a lot of folks are craving that daily immune support. Um, so we have the Sundown Elderberry Gummies. Um, elderberries are known for their traditional use and uh, wellness. Mm -hmm. So uh, these are a great option. They're, all, they're clean all the time, which means they're non-GMO. They don't have any artificial flavors or sweeteners. Um, and this is just a great option in a gummy form uh, for that daily immune support this winter. And uh, just to underscore what you were saying, these will fit into whatever dietary restrictions you have too, non-GMO and uh, organic and, and all of that. Uh, what else can we be doing right now to help ease that stress? As we said, this is an incredibly stressful time of the year. So what uh, other things can we add to our routines to help us de-stress, relax? Of course. Um, personally, I'm a huge fan of uh, yoga or some meditation every day. I think it really just helps get, you know, their day started on the right foot. Um, but in terms of supplements, we have two new items from Solgar. One of them is the daily stress support. And this is just helps with any mental or physical stressors that you may be feeling occasionally throughout the day. Um, and then personally for myself, I, you know, sleep and stress go hand in hand. So if I'm feeling really stressed out about something, the chances of me getting a good night's sleep are not great. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, I always turn to the Solgar sleep and stress item. It is a melatonin free way to help you fall asleep quickly, um, feel relaxed, but then also wake up feeling refreshed so that you are ready to take on, you know, whatever comes your way the next day. Because it's not just about uh, feeling our best, it is also about looking our best this time of year for uh, all of the holiday gatherings and all of that. So how do we not just feel our best, but look our best during the winter months? Yeah, so I mean, we want to look our best all year round and the holidays are definitely no exception to that. So uh, here we believe, you know, that beauty does start from within. So one of my uh, staples in my um, beauty supplement routine are our uh, advanced hair, skin, and nails. Uh, these come in a jelly bean or gummy form, depending on your preference, and they have two times the amount of biotin to help support uh, overall healthy hair, skin, and nails. Um, and we also have the Solgar Hyaluronic Acid Complex, and this essentially helps boost skin collagen in just 12 weeks increases skin elasticity and softens those wrinkles. Um, so really great items to have in your cabinet, especially as we head into some of the drier winter months as well. Uh, the toughest decision will be deciding whether jelly beans or gummies. That's <laughs> We've simplified <laughs> it to that point where that's going to be your toughest decision at this point. Uh, again, Megan Soa is a health and wellness expert for the Bountiful Company. Uh, Megan, where do we get more information on all of this? All the products mentioned today are available right now on Amazon.com. Megan, thanks for uh, taking the time. Happy holidays to you. Thanks so much. Happy holidays to you as well. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. There are bad haircuts, and then there are... 
really bad haircuts. Jarrah Sullivan, woman from Kentucky, shared on social media that uh, she was in a deep sleep after her uh, Thanksgiving celebration. You know, take a nap, got that post-Thanksgiving crash. <laughs> so she was so deep in sleep that she didn't even notice that her guinea pig, Dixie, was chewing on her hair while she was asleep. She awoke to find her bangs were completely gone, <laughs> chewed off. She uh, said she was horrified and then worried that maybe her pet had ingested too much hair, but then she soon found the chewed-off strands next to her guilty-looking pet. (laughs) What makes this even funnier is she's a hairdresser by trade, so... (laughs) Oops. A lot of uh, animal stories, the broken news. Uh, You know this time of year how people will leave treats for delivery drivers... Uh, by their front door, uh, we get so many packages delivered uh, during the Christmas season, and it has become kind of trendy to put a little uh, bucket of treats out, kind of like kind of like trick or treat. You put a little uh, bucket of uh, of uh, sweets out for the uh, delivery drivers. Well, in Libertyville, Illinois, uh, one couple did this, and their doorbell camera <laughs> caught a squirrel <laughs> helping himself to the selection of snacks. Making off with a full-size Snickers bar. <laughs> the beginning of the woman, uh, the beginning of the video, a woman can be heard saying, "Oh my! Someone took a ton of Snickers." Uh, they, she apparently put like six or seven Snickers bars, and they were all gone. And uh, they found the culprit was a squirrel. Well, they do have nuts in them, so I guess there's. <laughs> Oh, not the idea there, but somebody was having a little treat. Speaking of uh, animals and doorbell cameras, not every day that this happens. In Estes Park, Colorado, doorbell camera of one one homeowner caught the moment an elk rang his doorbell with its antlers and then began chewing some flowers and nibbling on a Christmas wreath hanging on the door. (laughs) James Janelle Posted the footage online. Millions of views. Uh, Let's see. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news. A lot of broken news uh, today. A lot of uh, funny stories here. Odd and unusual. Sometimes people just go looking for trouble. Two people have been arrested in Georgia after an altercation. Video shows customers Marshall and Crystal Wallace were apparently angry when they were told that they would have to come inside... To get a packet of Splenda at the uh, restaurant. They were in the uh, drive-thru, apparently. (laughs) And they were told they would have to come inside and get a packet of Splenda. Uh, This is in uh, the Atlanta area. The confrontation quickly escalated when Marshall allegedly struck the manager of the restaurant in the leg with a chair. All over a packet of Splenda. You'd have to come inside. Some people just go looking for trouble. He's been charged with assault. A Colorado man under arrest on claims he broke another man's leg at a dog park. Uh, Colorado Springs police say Jack Tolar went after the victim last week at the Bear Creek Dog Park in Colorado Springs. Uh, The uh, victim says the uh, suspect snapped his leg after putting it in some sort of leg lock. Uh, he claims that he was, uh, just trying to keep Mr. Tolar's dog from biting one of his dogs. 
Mr. Tolar accused of second-degree assault in that case. And police in Connecticut had to remind residents, don't take the law into your own hands. A woman in Connecticut uh, spotted a masked man rummaging through her unlocked car, which was parked on the street. The suspect jumped into a waiting vehicle and took off. And the woman uh, chased him down. What do you think you're going to do if you if you catch him? The woman took off after him. She called 911 after the driver of the getaway car leaned out the window and pointed a gun at her. <laughs> Sometimes you just don't go looking for trouble. Uh, you can get... <laughs> what did you think you were going to do? It's like a dog chasing a car. What do you think you're going to do if you catch it? You know? It's... Anyway. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning... I love this story. One lawmaker in Oklahoma has proposed renaming a state highway after now former University of Oklahoma football coach Lincoln Riley. What's, what's the name? The Lincoln Riley State Highway. But there, it's kind of a backhanded compliment because it is a uh, the bill proposed by Republican State Senator Bill Coleman would designate the last three inches of State Highway 325 in the Oklahoma Panhandle, the Lincoln-Riley Highway. (laughs) Last three inches before the state line. Of course, uh, Lincoln-Riley recently left the Sooners program to become head coach of the University of Southern California, and people in Oklahoma are none too happy about that, obviously. (laughs) Mr. Coleman says he found the tiniest section of our most desolate of highways to pay tribute to Coach Riley's exit from Oklahoma football. Oh, and by the way, it would only be the westbound lane that would be <laughs> that would be so designated. Of course, it would be the westbound lane. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Clever. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. WFIN 95.5 FM and Loritz Chevrolet Cadillac salute the men and women who are spending this holiday season away from home. Hi, I'm Jennifer Aliman, deployed at Ali Al Salim from Nellis Air Force Base. Just want to say happy holidays. Love you guys and miss you guys. Best holiday wishes from Loritz Chevrolet Cadillac, WFIN and 95.5 FM. Daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, We think of our pets as sometimes having separation anxiety when we leave them alone. uh, They don't see us for a long time, but it apparently works the other way, too. Researchers at Washington State University surveyed students uh, in college, particularly college freshmen, uh, who, when they went off to school, left pets behind at home and found that 75% report having some level of pet separation anxiety. 75%, three out of four college freshmen say that this is so here before too long, they're going to be coming home for Christmas, right? And the ones they're most looking forward to see. Not mom and dad, not brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles and family. No, their pets are the ones they're going to be most excited to see. 75% have some level of pet separation anxiety. And of those, 
25% report moderate to severe symptoms. Moderate to severe pet separation anxiety. It uh, was kind of interesting. Students with higher anxiety tended to be those who treated their pets like people. And, And we all know somebody who does that. And students with dogs at home also tended to be more attached to their pets and therefore uh, more likely to experience separation anxiety compared to those with cats or rabbits or gerbils or what have you. The lead, uh, lead author of the study, Alexa Carr, says students who are struggling with missing their pets should know that they're not alone. There is nothing necessarily wrong if you are experiencing a lot of distress leaving your pets. It is a bond that is very real, very important, and very deep uh, bond. Anyone who's ever lost a pet understands that bond between uh, a pet and their human. And uh, they go on to say it can be an isolating experience to lose that coping resource, especially for a college student, uh, especially a freshman, uh, when there's so much... uh, anxiety in their lives because of that experience to boot however uh, with all of that said researchers also stress that this finding should not be used as a justification for students to bring their pets with them to college particularly if the student would be their sole caregiver which obviously they would be in that scenario so that's not a really good idea and not healthy for the pet either but uh I just thought it was really interesting, the whole uh, separation anxiety aspect of students heading off to college for the uh, first time. <laughs> and so when, the, when they get home for uh, Christmas break, don't be surprised <laughs> if the first ones they go to see and they're most excited to see are not you, mom and dad, uh, but, the, uh, but their pet. <laughs> don't feel slighted by that, I guess, is the moral of that story. Now to our Throwback Thursday segment this morning before we finish up the program. Earlier this week, we of course marked the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor that propelled the United States into World War II. And we played some of the first news bulletins and official uh, official government reports that were broadcast over the radio on December 7th, 1941, that day that will live in infamy and in the days following, which kind of got us to thinking... Uh, about a conversation we had a few years ago about the role of the media and how it has covered conflicts over the years. From the way colonists got their news of the revolution in 1776 to today's 24-hour cable news and internet coverage of the War on Terror. Back in December of 2016, we spoke with Christopher Kelly military historian and author of the book America Invades, how we've invaded or been militarily involved with nearly every country on earth. We talked to him about the evolution of that relationship between the military and the media. From December of 2016, it is today's Throwback Thursday. Chris, would it be fair to say that not only has the evolution of media changed the way we've been informed about how a war is being fought, that evolution of media has also changed the way in which wars are fought. 
I think it, it definitely has changed. I mean, and I mean that you have a 24-hour news cycle and you have things that that didn't exist at the time of World War II. I mean, you think about World War II shortly after. Pearl, the Pearl Harbor attack, the Philippines were uh, captured and occupied by the Japanese. And when that happened, there were about 100,000 American troops that were held prisoner for almost four years, with all, obviously all of their families affected. And you imagine if something comparable were to happen today with everybody on social media and Twitter. I mean, yeah, the, or just the, kind of, or the or you compare that to just say, for the instance, the Iranian hostage crisis, which was what you know created night line mm-hmm. um, that I mean you, you but obviously you didn't have that uh, during World War two and so you didn't have that constant in your face media right. um, bombardment at, at the same time World War two really became the first conflict that was covered by the mass media of uh, the broadcast media of radio at the time right. and it was interesting because uh, President Roosevelt understood the power of the media. Probably uh, he was, was ahead very strong of his time. On radio. He did the fireside chats. He mm-hmm. was a very uh, convincing speaker on the radio. Uh, he, he was able to put things into human terms for that was easy for for people to understand what the what the issues were. Probably were ahead. Sake. Probably ahead of his time with that respect and understanding uh, the power of the the mass media right. to influence public opinion. Right. I mean, he talked about, when he was talking about helping Lend-Lease to provide that to Britain, he said, well, you know, it's, it's as if your neighbor's house is on fire. Would you lend him your garden hose or, or wouldn't you? I mean, of course you would. And, I mean, he, I mean, this is an example of a way that he, you know, could could relate, you know, major strategic issues that, that kind of everybody could, could understand and grasp. And obviously, that type of interaction between the military and the American people through mass media would evolve and continue. I mean, if you look at uh, Korea and especially Vietnam, it almost got to the point where, well, it did get to the point where it's kind of out of control for the military. Right. I mean, there's definitely an evolution. I mean, in Korea, you had a black and white war, and you had television was just in its infancy mm-hmm. during the Korean War. But then, by the time of Vietnam in the 60s, you had a war that was in living color, uh, entering into American living rooms. And, you know, when you see the, 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 the red blood and all of that, it makes it more it makes it more difficult and of course people didn't see the the red blood during say world war 2 or or even korea right. uh because it didn't it, you know you didn't have television as a as a major medium so it was you know people have referred to it as the living uh, living room war uh, and there was a question of what happened on the battlefield and then what happened on the cbs evening news was another media battlefield obviously all of those uh, lessons learned uh sort of evolve the way the media is handled handled by the military and vice versa and and yet at the same time again it's a very powerful tool for uh, solidifying support for military action or or what have you how has the media sort of evolved the way the military operates over the years right and they, i mean you have in during the um the uh, Kuwait War, for example, uh, the Gulf War, first Gulf War, you had the phenomenon of embedded reporters. And so mm-hmm. that was, again, an evolution kind of away from Vietnam, where you didn't, where you had kind of a more open policy between the military and the media. And then, but whereas during the Gulf War, there was a real, an effort to control the news flow of what the story, how the story is going to, to play out. So, so, and, and you've had seen attempts to try to, 
you know, control the story since then too. I mean, I mean, of course, the, you go back to the to the ancient times, and um, the, the I mean, the Greeks said that the first casualty of war is truth, and um, and I, I think that there, there's something to that still. I'm afraid. And it, it again, as you point out, it continues to evolve with the things that we have uh, now, the technology that we have now, uh, with the internet and and these alternative media outlets, social media, and so on, really continues to evolve uh, the the way uh, the military and the the media interact. Right. Well, I mean, like, for instance, D-Day, you had, I mean, this huge army and lots of young Americans who are about to, you know, either parachute or land into, into history. And, uh, and they, but they didn't have, you know, they didn't have Twitter and they didn't have cell phones and there was no possibility that they could spill the beans. And it, the Allies and the Americans were really able to pull off strategic surprise and surprise Hitler on June 6, 1944. Uh, and, you know, today it might be more problematic. I mean, uh, with whether it would be on Facebook or Twitter or something uh, prior to a major action such as that. Yeah. Taking strategic surprise away, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, dramatically weakens our, our military abilities. But again, you know, we, we go back to that 1941, and it all starts with those radio reports of an attack on Pearl Harbor because uh, in, in the... Uh, in the war previous, in World War One, it would have taken more time for that news to get out. Right, and I mean it was more of a slow build with World War One. I. I mean, World War One started, you know, in August of 1914, and we didn't get involved until April of 1917. So, and, and as a result of the German submarine activities and, and various various things, but so it took longer for the United States to get involved. Uh, and then, as as you as you indicated, we kind of uh, American isolationism really kind of ended uh, on December seventh, 1941, and within. 24 hours, uh, the president has a declaration of war, and the entire country knows it. I mean, we hear that uh, right there in the uh, in the address over the radio. We we right. heard you know we heard the reports of the attack. 24 hours later, we hear the uh, president uh, again. Something that was unheard of uh, before mass media would come along. So things uh, just all of a sudden move very much faster uh, because of uh, because of the mass media. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, the day of infamy speech that was heard around the world through radio, and uh, and you know, and of course you had a president with with polio who who, who needed assistance to walk up, which you know is something that imagine if that had were portrayed on live television would yeah. be would be uh, you know it would have a very different impact, I suppose, and have a different image of, of what a president is supposed to be and how he's supposed to act and appear. From December of 2016, today's Throwback Thursday segment with Christopher Kelly, military historian and author of America Invades, how we've invaded or been militarily involved with nearly every country on Earth. I have a link to that book and more information at our webpage, goodmornings.net. And that is our podcast for this morning. Uh, you can get more information on all of the topics that we've talked about uh, on the program at our webpage. Again, goodmornings.net. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us. Coming up tomorrow to finish up the week, what were the people, places, and things that most captured our attention in 2021? Google is out with its annual Year in Search report. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.